the Batman Universe Podcast, your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 69. I'm your host Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Nick. This is John. This is Melinda. And joining us for this special cast, we have Joe from the Comic Cast. Hello. This episode, we obviously will be taking you through all of the movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news for the month of August. Our spotlight character will be none other than Dula Dent. And our feature will be Batman Live. Now, Batman Live obviously premiered in July, but because of Comic-Con, we didn't really have a lot of chances to talk about it. Both Joe and Nick were able to go see it, so that'll be our feature. We'll dedicate this episode really to Batman Live when it gets to the point in the podcast where we have our feature. So, August is notoriously a slow month for news, and that's pretty much how it's going to continue to happen. Um, the last couple weeks, a lot of news has been related to the comic book world with everything going on with the new DC relaunch with the new 52 series for September. But we are not talking about the comics, so let's talk about what we will talk about, which will be first movie news with everything related to The Dark Knight Rises and Batman Year One. We were in this together. first thing we have for movie news is on August 1st, Tom Hardy talked with Total Film, gave him an interview about a number of different things, and this is some of the things he had to say. On the Nolan take of the character, he said, I think Bane's cool, so I'm really excited to play him. It's not the guy in Joel Shoemaker's film, but it shouldn't disappoint fanboys. And on how he responded to Chris Nolan's offer for the role, he said, Hang on a minute, you're asking me to come around the world with you in a Batman movie playing a villain and the only downside is I have to wear a mask? Hmm, let me think. I'll get back to you. No, I'm there. Anything you need. And finally, on if he feels any pressure following Heath Ledger's performance, he said, No, none at all. Brilliant actor, brilliant work. That's it. I've got a job to do. It's the same with Mad Max and Mel Gibson. I'm not here to engage in a competition with their talent. It's to play the character that I've been given. So that actually appears in their magazine that was released in July. So you can find that in stores and obviously online as well. So I think it's kind of cool. He's pretty excited about playing Bane. And he's not really taking any of the criticism or anything that's online to heart, which is good to see. Yeah, I think the PR guys need to be a little bit careful when they wheel him out for the interviews because he's not afraid about swearing and they might want to watch that when they're promoting Dark Knight Rises. But other than that, really good to see. I'm glad he's excited about the role and he's not worried about the whole Joel Schumacher thing in the past and it's nice to see he's very excited about the job. 
Yeah, I think he gave the right answers to those questions. I think he's right. He is very much stressing, though, that this is going to be a separate interpretation, but there's enough to keep people who have a background in the comics happy in the same way that they did with Joker. Pretty good answers, and it makes me feel very happy about this film. I really like that he said he wasn't concerned about comparison or living up to Heath Ledger's performance, because he shouldn't be. I mean, it's a completely different role, completely different character. He should be worrying about carrying Bane, not about living up to the Joker. And the fact that he acknowledged that it's not the Shoemaker version, that makes me really happy, because that goes a long way to rehabilitating the character. When he said brilliant actor, brilliant role, is he referring to Heath Ledger himself? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> referring to Heath Ledger. Okay. He comes across as quite an arrogant man, but I'm sure I'll do justice to their role. <laughs> Alright, and then the next bit of movie news we have comes on August 5th. The first official look of Catwoman was released by Warner Brothers, and it was in the form of Anne Hathaway in what appears to be the cat suit on the Bat Pod. Now, obviously, we have no idea how this actually falls into the story, since we don't really know anything about the story at all. But, yeah, there was a little bit of a wave of criticism because Anne Hathaway's not wearing a full mask, or she doesn't have cat ears, and she's wearing some kind of goggles with blue lights. And needless to say, plenty of people had enough to say about what was wrong with this image. Now, personally, I don't think it's that bad. I'm sure that the goggles are not something that is the only thing she ever wears on her face. There has been rumors online recently about how the goggles actually fold up and somehow appear to be a pair of cat ears similar to what we saw i guess really the best comparison would be the 60s tv show with the cat ears and that but i don't think it's that bad i think the problem is that people are thinking oh it needs to look like michelle pfeiffer and because it doesn't people are giving a little bit too much of their own opinion on it i get this feeling that based off of what happened with the filming in pittsburgh and everything that the scene where she's on the bad pod plays into the story and it might be one of the earlier appearances of the character in the film. But at this point, we have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping this is not how she's going to look throughout the entire film. I think there's going to be a change here. And like you, Dustin, I don't think... I think she'll have something else over her face or covering her hair or something like that. But regarding this suit, I wasn't particularly impressed I think it's quite boring, I think it's bland, it's not sexy really, and it was a little bit disappointing. I mean, when I think back to when we first saw Heath Ledger, it's definitely very different to that. So, yeah, I was a little bit underwhelmed, as I think a lot of people were. I think it's hard to gauge. He is sat on a bat pod, so it doesn't really give a very good view of the costume itself. I think once they release pictures of her standing up, and possibly in costumes that come along, a little bit later on, I think it's going to bring more people back on board. But there's always a backlash on that first initial viewing because it's people have an image in their mind. And then when it's not fulfilled, they do what anybody does. And, you know, they lash out and they get quite cross about it. The goggles, she's on a bat pod, you know, bugs, that kind of thing. She doesn't want bugs in her eyes, otherwise she's going to crash. And that would just not be a good look, you know be the worst super villain ever so i'm waiting i don't know if chris nolan will do the ears and the full cow but it's not really been his style to do directly from comic books or you know to copy other films so i'm not thinking we're going to see the ears but we might see something else a little bit later on down the line just wait and i think you'll be impressed 
I also think we're going to see a different costume. We're still almost a year out from the movie. I think that them revealing Catwoman's costume this early, especially since quite a few pictures of Bane have leaked, for them to reveal Catwoman this early, I think would be very detrimental. And quite honestly, I could see him not going with the ears just because with Scarecrow, his costume was a burlap sack over his face. He's really striving for realism, and I think that this is a more realistic look for Catwoman versus the ears, but I do think we are going to see a different costume. This is what I absolutely love about people today, because everyone loves the Nolan trilogy. Everyone thinks it's the best Batman franchise has ever been. And every time something's come out, like Heath Ledger, there was a backlash against it at first. People didn't like Heath Ledger. They didn't like the way the Joker looked. As soon as the film out, people were raving about how it was the best thing ever made. And they're doing exactly the same thing now. They're looking at Anne Hathaway's costume going, oh, no, that's awful. I don't like it. What is Nolan doing? And it's going to come out. And I assure you, everyone's going to absolutely fall in love with it. Yep. Of course. All right. And then on August 9th, turns out, Anne Hathaway was doing a little press run for her new movie, and she was talking to MTV, and as we all know, MTV always loves to ask questions about the Batman movies, and they specifically asked her her reaction to the fans' reaction of the Catwoman suit, and here's what she had to say. first photo's out, people are excited about it. Are, mm-hmm. you, are you kind of like absorbing that and saying, oh, that's exciting that people are already picking this apart and... Um, I was not going to admit... I asked someone to send me a few reactions, and I happen to know that MTV's reaction was meh. Was it meh? <laughs> MTV's reaction was meh. <laughs> that's so, I'm here to broker the piece. So what I am happy to say is, if you didn't like the photo, <laughs> you start with a negative. You only see about a tenth of what that suit can do. And if you did like the photo, you have excellent taste. (laughs) I apologize on behalf of all the the meh people. (laughs) We called it meh. So Anne Hathaway saying that the the suit, you've only seen one-tenth of what the suit can do. That's kind of an interesting comment because you have to wonder, okay, one, is this like a suit that she's wearing in the beginning similar to what Bruce wore in Batman Begins and then it, it, it transitioned into something that became the bat suit? Or is it something where the cat suit has some kind of enhanced abilities that we don't know anything about. It's hard to know exactly what that means, other than, I guess, the complete literate thing is you maybe only can see one-tenth of the suit, so because of that, maybe that's what she's referring to. It's it's extremely difficult to know exactly what she's referring to. It seems strange to me that they even bothered to release this picture. I mean, as uh, Melinda said, we've got ages till the film comes out. And, I mean, I don't think we needed to see it, and I don't think it was worth risking underwhelming the fans. But as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I don't. I think there's a lot more of that suit to see, and and Hathaway agrees with you know. She says there is more to see, so that's good news, I suppose. I do like the fact that she sticks it to MTV because, frankly, for the last year, well, ever since the end of The Dark Knight, they've not shut up about Batman. So all power to her. And to be fair, Anne Hathaway doesn't really care what other people think. She's received a lot of criticism for a film that she did over here called One Day about her Leeds accent, and she just told everybody to get stuffed. So, you know, I can't say I'm surprised this is her reaction. And, you know, I think Melinda and Nick are right. There's a year to go. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, if this is a tenth of what the suit can do, I'm curious as to what the other nine tenths are, because if one tenth of the suit enables you to steal a bat pod, I gotta get me one of those suits. 
No, I mean, I'm sure that she's probably talking about the functionality of the goggles. Maybe they're x-ray vision goggles. Who knows? I would absolutely love if Nolan, just for this film, went absolutely overboard. <laughs> so everything like... And then, like, for some reason, Anne Hathaway's suit, although it's not in continuity, but then a lot of Nolan's Batman stuff isn't, if it just turned into, like, a Transformer. This thing shot out the arms and stuff like that. She was able to jump giant buildings and things like that just because of the suit's abilities. All right, so the next bit we have August 15th. Warner Brothers released a number of screenshots for Batman Year One. You obviously can't see them while you're listening to this, so you head over to the website and look for new screenshots for Batman Year One under the movie news section. There's some pictures of Batman, Catwoman, Jim Gordon, and also some storyboards from the film as well, so you can definitely check all of those out on the website. All right, the last bit of movie news comes on August 23rd. MTV again interviewed Tom Hardy for his new project, Warrior, and asked him some questions about The Dark Knight Rises, and here's what he had to say. What do you think about the fascination with Bane and how people are obsessed with finding out everything about that film? I think it's uh, it just shows that people are really into it, and that's great. You know, if you love something, then you know why not follow it? Well, you just kind of spoil uh, a little bit, as long as you don't you know, spoil your enjoyment for something. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. anti you Do you have a reaction yourself to the really great photo that was released? I don't know what great photo. There was a really good photo of just your profile, like, at least you as Bane in profile. I don't know if you must have seen that. I mean, there's photos out there, so I think you know it's. it's So, needless to say, I think Tom Hardy got to the point where he wasn't really enjoying listening to the questions from MTV. In the actual video, it looks like he's actually kind of agitated. He's shifting from side to side, rubbing his arms up and down as if he is not really there to promote The Dark Knight Rises. And really didn't feel comfortable answering questions to it. Especially since he's sitting next to his co-star of the movie Warrior, who has nothing to do with Batman at all. So... You know, his simple answer was, Chris Nolan's a genius, and I trust Chris Nolan. Yeah, it seems like MTV are doing a good job of pissing off everyone involved with Dark Knight Rises. So they annoyed Anne Hathaway because they didn't like her outfit, and now they're bothering Tom Hardy at a promotion for another film. But, I mean, I agree with Tom Hardy. I think there's been more info coming out about this film, like photos and stuff like that, than The Dark Knight, definitely. And I think, you know, there is a danger of people ruining the film for themselves. So I agree with him in the sense I think people need to show a little bit of restraint and just say, look, just, you know, it'll be out eventually. Don't ruin the film for other people. If I had my way, people who spoiled films, TV programs would be executed. It's such a bugbear of mine. I, I just think, what's the point? I know people are hyped up and people are excited about it. But, you know, why actively go around trying to tell people what's going on and and stuff like that? Just enjoy. The whole point of this is that you enjoy the ride up to it, see the film, 
and it's all exciting because you know it's what you expected or you're disappointed because it's not or you know whatever and it is very very annoying as for mtv seriously do they need to ask every time that they see somebody who's in the film related to the film about it it's getting quite irritating now guys there should promote an entirely different film he doesn't want to talk about film projects that he's doing and that are coming out later on or that he might be doing or what you know whatever just stop ah i am suddenly so happy that we don't get mtv in canada because if i had to watch them pester every actor who is in some way connected to the dark knight about the dark knight rises i would have to stop watching on principle before i joined this podcast i was very firmly i don't want any spoilers i wasn't going to be looking at any really any even of the news that was coming out about the dark knight rises because i want to go into that movie and be surprised i want to be delighted with you know, oh, that's how they chose to do this, or oh, that's how they chose to do that. So I think that Tom Hardy raises a really valid point that people need to let other people enjoy this and stop trying to spoil it just because they want to know. I agree, and I think Tom Hardy did just quite a good job there of trying to divert it as much as possible. And it's, I mean, it is unfair when you're trying to promote, like John said, a different film and someone's pestering you about something completely else. And it's not fair to the production of that other film, which obviously wants as much attention as it can get, and then they're they're trying to promote it and someone's asking them about something completely different. Well, it's even better when they take those interviews that they do and they chop them up and the only thing they actually use is the thing that has nothing about the actual movie. I'm sure the PR firm that puts together those interviews really loves that. Alright, so, moving right along, there is no TV news for August, although we do have some rumors online stating that there will be new episodes of Young Justice and Batman Brave and the Bold, coming in September, so make sure you're watching the site throughout the month to find out whether or not there's new episodes airing. We'll be sure to let you know ahead of time. Don't know anything from Warner Brothers yet, so we can't confirm that there's anything actually airing. Supposedly, new episodes should be airing in the month of September. Moving on to merchandise news. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lois, this is not my Batman glass. Only really two quick things. The very first one is... On August 15th, DC Direct announced their new items that will be in stores April of 2012. And there's only really two items worth mentioning. The first one is a Heroes of the DC Universe Series 2 Batman bust designed by Gary Frank, sculpted by Jean St. Jean. And the other one is, well, it's two. There's a series called uh, Justice League Heroes and Foes Series 1. And in that series, the Joker and Batman are featured, as well as Wonder Woman and Flash. So you can check all those pictures of those items out on the website. The other bit of news comes on August 25th. Hot Toys revealed all the details regarding their 1989 Batman figures, and this will be the Michael Keaton Batman and the Jack Nicholson Joker. Not only all the details, but also all the accessories that will be coming with the figures and images of all of the figures as well, so you can check that out on the website as well. These two look really good. Any idea how much one of these would cost, Dustin? It's about $175. Wow. But, well, I mean, these ones actually look like they're worth it, especially all the little accessories as well. Very impressive. Being quite young, I have no responsibilities. I'm definitely getting one of these. I definitely will go out and pick up the bust. That just looks absolutely amazing for, for something that's basically the top half of his body it just conveys action i don't know what it is but i'm definitely going out and getting hold of the bus and if i can these hot toys as well 
I'm just looking at the Joker bus. That actually looks really amazing. I don't collect things like that, but I'm thinking that would make an amazing gift for someone you know that's a Batman fan. Yeah, it's an absolutely obscene amount of money for what it is, but they are pretty spectacular. Now, I personally have the Joker from The Dark Knight, and I also have the bank robbery Joker and Batman from The Dark Knight as well. If I had the $500 that the the Batmobile cost for the Hot Toys version, I would have definitely bought that as well, but I don't have that kind of money. I think the Hot Toys ones are, it's, it's one of those things where they are well above beyond the detail that you could possibly imagine on any scale of something besides it being real. Clearly they're not life-size, they're one-sixth scale, but nonetheless, the detail that is put into these things is absolutely amazing. And if I can somehow come up with about $400 to buy both of these, I will add these to my collection in a heartbeat. I wish I had your kind of money, Dustin. (laughs) I wish I had my kind of money, too. And that is all the merchandise news. Let's get into video game news. So, Batman, you here for the cops, or me? Or that penguin. He's as crooked as a warped shillelagh. There's obviously some things that happened in regards to Batman Arkham City as we get closer and closer to the actual release of Batman Arkham City. So the very first thing comes on August 1st. Our friends over at ArkhamCity.co.uk discovered a couple of more character skins for Batman Arkham City. Now these character skins are specifically designed so that you can play as a Batman from a different version of Batman's history inside the actual challenge maps. So as of right now, we have the Batman Arkham City version. We have a Batman animated series. We have Batman the Modern 70s comic version, we have Batman Earth 1, we have Batman Beyond, and Batman the Dark Knight Returns. So we have all six of those that have been released. Now they're going to be available through various different retailers depending on where you live, as well as depending on who you order from. So it's hard to keep up with every single one because obviously countries all over the world are going to have this game and retailers are not the same everywhere. But I know for a fact that the 70s skin is something that's available exclusively through Toys R Us in the United States. And I believe the Batman Beyond is at GameStop in the UK. Like I said, it's very hard to keep up with all of these. The best suggestion is just... Before you go pre-order Batman Arkham City, make sure you do a little bit of research into the retailers that are offering the pre-order incentives so that you can get the skins that you want. All these skins will be made available as time progresses and the game comes out within probably a couple months after the game is released. All these skins will be available for purchase online for everybody and anybody. So it's not something that, you know, if you don't pre-order it through your specific retailer that's, you know promoting a specific skin you're never going to be able to get it i think these skins are a really great idea and i think they look brilliant i mean my particular favorite one is probably the animated series one or maybe the 70s one but i think they're all great and i'd love to try them all out it reminds me a bit of when we had the joker as a playable character in the first game and then after a while because that was playstation exclusive and then after a while that became available for everyone so i imagine this is going to go the same way And, yeah, I think it's a really great idea. I think they look really cool. I think if I had to pick the one that I'm going to pre-order, probably go for the animated series one. I'm really sorry, Nick. I really don't like the animated series one. I don't know what it is. It just looks a bit... Animated. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah obviously. But I don't know. I, I just don't feel that it translates very well. I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy with all the others. It's just that one that I've got a real problem with. But I think that's probably the one that will do the best for fans and things like that. I think that's going to be the one that people want to get. It's definitely adds to the gameplay as well. The fact that you can now go back and do the game, do the maps in, in different costumes. And what would be really nice touch is if they had their own unique powers and things like that. So the Batman Beyond suit could, you know, have some of the more advanced technology. So, you know, maybe it could go invisible or something like that. But then it has other weaknesses. I think that would be definitely a way to cap off something that looks brilliant. I agree with John. That would be an amazing feature to add to the game. You know, I mean, you've got... 70s Batman maybe using more of his detective skill versus his fighting skills. I'm excited to see the Batman Beyond skin, actually, like, in gameplay. I've always liked the design of Terry's suit, and I think that that's going to be cute. I'd be most interested in the Batman Year One costume, because it looks like we're going to see it in this game before we get it in the comics. Personally, I think they all look very interesting. I think the animated version, I think the actual image of what it looks like does look pretty bad, just because obviously there's not as much detail as with the animated series as there is with the comics or with video games. So because of that, translated into the game, I don't know how well it's going to look. Specifically on the image that they've provided, it does not look very good at all. So I'm not going to say the animated series is my best. I think the Earth 1 one does look pretty cool. If you listen to the latest comic cast, you probably also know that Batman Earth 1 possibly could be being released sometime early next year. So who knows what exactly is happening, but we'll have to see. Alright, so then the next thing we've got is also on August 1st, Newsarama caught up with the lead designer for Batman Arkham City, Paul Crocker, and he was in attendance at Comic-Con International and shared some thoughts about the game. So I will read for Newsarama, and John will read for Paul Crocker. Just how big is the actual game? It's huge. I mean, size-wise, I think it's four to five times bigger than the first game. Gameplay-wise, it's just massive. I think we've got something like 400 secrets to find. Loads and loads of replayability. We've really gone to town on wanting to make the player want to stay playing the game as long as possible. There's loads to find, loads to do. You know, there's the main player path, but there's also loads and loads of separate side stories to do. Different things you can find out about the Batman universe. Things you could find out about Batman and that kind of thing. I was hearing in some of the gameplay during the convention that Penguin is British. Where did that choice come from? Well, technically, he's the same American guy who went to England and was abandoned by his parents and grew up on the street. So when he comes back to Gotham, he's got this kind of cockney, kind of more violent-sounding accent. And it was a real decision. We wanted to put Penguin in because he's one of the guys everyone knows. The traditional Penguin doesn't really fit in the Arkhamverse. He's just a bit misplaced in our universe. So we thought, how do we make this guy the nasty piece of work he needs to be for this game? Our first thought was, well, why don't we replace his monocle with a broken bottle? <laughs> and from there we went. It evolved into this streetwise gangster-like guy. But deep down, he's still the same Penguin. He still looks the same, still got the monocle, still has his top hat, Still has crazy umbrellas, but he's coming from a slightly different place. Are you already working towards the third? We're looking to finish this one. Desperately looking to finish this one. But we will finish this one by October the 18th. 
All right, so obviously he's not going to say anything about a third one. I think at this point it's pretty safe to assume that as long as Arkham City has very good sales, Warner Brothers will greenlight a sequel to Arkham City, and there will be a third one in this trilogy of the Batman Arkham series. What's kind of interesting to me is, you know, obviously they're not. he's not going to say that they're working towards a third one, but the fact is... They use a lot of the character movements and enhancements that they had from Arkham Asylum and just bettered them and made them bigger and overall made the story bigger, made the environment bigger. So in my mind, they could only just build upon what they've done in Arkham City and make it even larger at a larger scale, you know, enhance everything to a, a better degree for a third one. So I don't, I, I don't think that Newsrama was very wise in asking him that because clearly he wasn't going to just break the news and say, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, sure, uh, yeah, we've got a third one in the works, no problem. Yeah, I don't think that was ever going to happen, so I think that was kind of stupid on their part to be to ask that specific question. Now, but his response is interesting to me because he says, you know, we're, we're desperately looking to finish this one. I don't think they're desperately trying to finish this one because I don't think this is a game where, you know, they're hurrying up to the deadline to try to finish it. I've already seen the game packaged for the special edition as well as the normal edition, so I, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that they're not putting together the special edition packages without the actual game inside of it. I replayed Arkham Asylum a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I've played the game before, but I was surprised at how quickly I got through it and it made me think that it was quite a small game actually a great game but not massive and so Paul Crocker mentioning that this game is going to be a lot bigger I'm very happy with that and I would like to spend a bit more time with this game the first one is a bit if you if you blitz it you can get through it quite quick yeah I think they were always going to go bigger as you say Nick for the second one I think the first one was to kind of test water see if their concepts work and then scale it up from there. From previous interviews and stuff, I do definitely think there'll be a third one. I think they've got an overall story arc. You saw it at the end of Arkham Asylum with the Scarecrow's hand on some of the Venom, and I think that we're more than likely going to see a segue to the third one. This will sell like hotcakes. It's one of the most anticipated games of this year. As for the Penguin being the same old Penguin, I'm not quite sure about that comment. Although the British accent really works, he's not really the same penguin with the British accent. He's their version of the penguin. Um, so I think he was wrong to say that. But that's just me nitpicking. Um, I'm really curious as to what the separate side paths are. Because, yeah, he, he talks about the main player path, but he says there's loads and loads of separate side paths. So I'm excited to see what those are and what kind of... They won't be revealing anything new to the Batman mythos, but what they might reveal to the players and what they'll let players know about. I have to roll my eyes at the Penguin because I, I don't feel like he fits in Arkhamverse, so they're trying to jam him in. almost feels like they're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. I'm not excited about that. The fact that this game is going to be so much bigger both excites and terrifies me because I'm not a big gamer. It 
took me a few months to complete Arkham Asylum because I have the mentality of having to do every single thing at once. I can't move on to the next part until I've found all of the Riddler trophies and solved all of the riddles and stuff like that. So this is going to take me a complete age to finish, as well as with side missions which go away from the actual story. I'm going to be having a breakdown trying to complete this. As for the comment about will you be doing a third game, I think that's ridiculous because this isn't even out yet. We're all so excited for this. And then if you start asking questions about the third game, people are going to start going, oh yeah, there might be a third game, getting excited for that. And then you'll miss the second game, which is going to be awesome. Press questioning recently has really left a lot to be desired, hasn't it? It has indeed, Jonathan. You sound like my mother. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then on August 5th, a little bit of interesting news from DC Universe Online, which we really haven't heard any worthwhile news about the game in a while, but they, they posted up a letter on their website and sent it out to subscribers online saying that that Monday, which was August 8th, was supposed to be the launch of their new mega servers. Now, I'm not going to go through the actual letter, but essentially the summary of it means that more players will be able to play with even more players, and there's more rewards. Essentially, there was a lot of single servers that you were limited to playing with only a certain amount of people. And I think a lot of it has to do with when the game initially launched, they had a certain number of subscribers, and with the issues with the PlayStation Network in April and May, as well as the the game itself just losing popularity as time progresses, I think they are slowly eliminating some of their single servers and trying to bring their subscribers that they have left back to the same server slowly. So I think it's now down to four servers, one European for PlayStation 3, one European for PC, one US for PC, one US for PS3. I think that's what it's down to now. I could be wrong, because I'm going to tell the truth, I'm not playing this game, and it's really a shame that this game has fell so far under everybody's radar. Yeah, I don't play the game, and I'm not too fussed about what they're doing with their servers. Just out of interest, does anyone play the game on this? No. Nope. Nope. I don't even have a console, so... (laughs) It has really fallen under the radar. I think, though, it's because of the problems with the Sony Entertainment Network. I think if that hadn't gone down when it did, I think there would be a lot more interest and excitement about it. I think that's the thing that hit it hardest. And if you go on the Facebook page as well, there's just loads of fans bitching about really stupid stuff. I think that puts a lot of people off as well. Alright, the next bit of news we have comes also on August 5th. It was announced that some pretty well-known video game voice talent is actually providing the voice for Penguin in Batman Arkham City, and it's a person by the name of Nolan North. Now, you may have heard his name before, or maybe not, but you've surely heard his voice if you play video games, because he's done a number of video games, including Uncharted and Assassin's Creed. He's voiced the Star Wars and those games as well. So that's somebody interesting to be voicing Penguin. Clearly has a a range that he can do his voice in. Yeah, I think he's one of the biggest video game voice actors around at the moment, so great to have him involved. He is brilliant as Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series. And did you say he's playing the Penguin? Yes. Yeah, the Penguin's going to be quite a controversial character in this game, so uh, you probably couldn't pick anyone better to try and pull it off. 
I've had a listen to him on the, the gameplay trailer that they released for the Penguin, and he actually sounds surprisingly good. Obviously, when you think of Cockney Penguin, it, it can go horribly wrong, but when you've got a voice star of his quality, then it's going to be well done. He's brilliant in Assassin's Creed, which is the only game I've played with him in it. So, you know, full expectations that, again, he's going to do a really good job with this as well. I've heard of Assassin's Creed. I haven't heard of Uncharted, but I know that to have someone of that caliber come into Arkham City gives me more faith in the character of Penguin. I'm still very reserved, but if he can pull it off, then kudos to him. All right. The next bit comes on August 8th. There was some concept art released for Solomon Grundy, which we first saw in the Penguin trailer that was released at Comic-Con. You can check out the concept art online. We'll roll through a couple of these other ones. There was an interview that was done with Computer and Video Games, which is a website, CVG, and they posted an interview with Rocksteady's Dax Skin, and it confirms that Robin will be a playable character within the storyline of Arkham City. Although, this exact same interview, despite the fact that he says Robin will be playable, he later clarifies in a later interview, probably a couple weeks later, that Robin is playable in the challenge maps and not in the actual game. So it's hard to know exactly what he's talking about, because it's almost like they're flip-flopping back and forth. I know in the challenge maps in Arkham Asylum, you could use your detective mode. And obviously you can use the detective mode inside of the storyline, you know, the main story of the game as well. But what's interesting is that he goes on a very long description of how exactly Batman's detective vision works, as well as Catwoman's thief vision works and Robin's vision works, and Robin's is more specifically related to explosions and things like that. And I don't understand how many things Robin would actually be using his detective vision for within the challenge maps to make it that much worthwhile to create a whole another version of the detective vision if he wasn't playable in the game. So as of right now, we don't actually know that Robin is going to be in the game for sure, but we do know that he'll be in the challenge maps, so it's it's unclear as far as whether or not Robin will actually be playable or not, because there's different reports coming from Dax Skin, the, the marketing director for Rocksteady, so it's hard to know. I would just say that um, we know that Catwoman is a playable character, so I think it'll be a very missed opportunity if we get to play Batman and Catwoman and Robin just runs around alongside us. So if you can play Catwoman, it seemed to me to make sense that we can play Robin as well. I think it'll be a missed opportunity otherwise. I do agree. I think it would be a missed opportunity. But I wonder in such a large game where he'd fit in and be meaningful. Otherwise it could make it seem too confusing or make Robin feel like he's just got a bit part in it. And that's not really satisfying. I think I'd rather have him appear in this game, in the challenge maps, as a nice little extra in the same way that the Joker was, and then be an actual playable character in any potential sequels that they do, and really give him space and the time to make him exciting and good in the same way that they've done with Batman and Catwoman. Like Dustin said, I'm not sure why they would create an entire detective mode for Robin if he's not going to be a playable character in the game portion itself rather than just the challenge maps. That seems like a lot of extra work, something that would take up a lot of extra time for something that's not a huge part of the game. Yeah, I hadn't read this interview, so when you first said Robin was going to be in the game, I got 
excited until you said probably just the challenge maps. Like Nick said, I think it would be a bit of a missed opportunity and something. I mean, I'd like to play Robin purely because of the the different fighting style and movement which we were promised with Catwoman. I think it would be interesting to have even a third character like that who plays different to Batman. All right. The next bit of news we have is on August 12th. There's a new trailer release for Gotham City Imposters. You can definitely check it out on our YouTube page as well as the actual site. What's interesting about this specific game is that it just continues to, in my opinion, look completely unrelated to Batman other than the costumes that the characters are wearing. That's all I have to say. Yeah, this game just... Oh, I've, I'm not interested anymore. I'm kind of done with it. I thought I'd give it a chance, but, you know, it just doesn't look like something I'm going to enjoy. So I'd, I'd rather play Arkham City, thanks. I'm with you two, and uh, it is terrible. But I was going back over the trailers, sort of, in preparation for this, and I can kind of understand what they're trying to do. It's trying to create that possibility of, well, if Batman was real, then there would definitely be people trying to copy him. I mean, you can see that from real life, people who go around being real life superheroes now. So what would they do? But then it's scaled up so much that it stops being sensible. I mean, throwing bear traps at people and things like that. It just stops being realistic and it stops being what could be actually quite an intelligent game. And it, it does just scale up into stupidness. I would learn how to play video games specifically to not buy this video game and not play it. I think this looks absolutely hilarious. I really want this game, genuinely. <laughs> it, from what I've seen in the trailer, it looks exactly like my sense of humor. It looks brilliant. And that is why Joe is on the comic cast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the next thing we've got is on... August 15th, Batman Arkham City revealed Mr. Freeze. There's a new trailer, which you can see on our YouTube page, as well as some concept art. And although we had a good inclination that Mr. Freeze was going to appear in the game, it has, in fact, been confirmed by Warner Brothers and Rocksteady. So you can check out that trailer. There wasn't a whole lot revealed other than, obviously, the way Mr. Freeze is going to look and the fact that Batman's going to have to battle him at some point during the game but it's just another one of Batman's classic villains that's being added to the roster of people who are, will be in Arkham City that Batman has to deal with. The trailer looked good. Mr. Freeze looked good. Kind of shakes off all the memories of Arnie. And, I, yeah, I, I quite like the look. I'm looking forward to fighting Mr. Freeze, actually. I think, it's, I think they've got an interesting take on him. Yeah, I think it adds something different. He's a different kind of villain from what we've seen before, especially in Arkham Asylum, where they were kind of divided into bruisers or long-distance supervillains like Poison Ivy, whereas Mr. Freeze provides both, so I think it could be very, very interesting. I like the costume. I like that, yeah, we're seeing this really, really tiny guy inside of a huge costume. From what I remember of the trailer, it reminds me a bit of the Scarecrow missions, just sort of running and hiding from the freeze ray. But the costume looks good, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how it works in the game. All right, the next bit of news we have is on August 16th. Warner Brothers announced that Arkham City will be supporting stereoscopic 3D on Xbox 360, PS3, and PC. 
the press release is on the website if you want to read that. Essentially, it's making the game 3D capable if you have 3D TVs or a 3D graphics card for your computer. Most people don't have a 3D graphics card, and those of you with 3D TVs, you'll be able to play it in 3D, but you'll have to be wearing the actual glasses for your specific TV. So this is different than the 3D glasses that they had for Batman Arkham City, or Batman Arkham Asylum, the Game of the Year edition. But nonetheless, if you are interested in the 3D element, which I am personally not very interested in the 3D element, it will be supporting that. I was going to mention that I thought Arkham Asylum had something to do with 3D in a re-release. I don't remember reading anywhere if it was any good or not. But yeah, I mean, 3D doesn't... I'm, I'm not interested in 3D. They surely won't make a lot of money out of this. I don't know anyone that's got, you know, 3D TV that they can use for gaming and stuff. So there can't be many people out there who want this. So I'm surprised they're putting the effort into it. 3D just hasn't taken off in the way that anybody at the cinemas, TV makers hoped at all. Mainly because it costs an absolute fortune to get the equipment and adds absolutely bugger all to gameplay, films, TV. This is a really pointless decision and to me a waste of their time and money. I'm surprised they went through the effort to make it 3D just because 3D televisions and 3D graphics cards are not commonplace right now. They're not something that everybody has, and I don't see it paying off for them. Unfortunately, 3D is not made for people who wear glasses, so... Very true, very true, Joe, very true. Even if I wanted to play this in 3D, I would not be able to. Well, you can try. It's not comfortable, though. Alright, so then the next bit of news is on August 22nd, the Robin skins were revealed by Amazon.de, ArkhamCity.co.uk, kind of put all three images together and essentially is the Arkham City version of Robin, Robin from the animated series, and Red Robin. Now, again, the animated series one doesn't look nearly as good as the other two. Well, I, I don't know about that. I like it. I think it looks cool. I love the Red Robin one. That looks absolutely amazing. I'm sat here looking at my Eagle Moss Red Robin, and it, it's identical. It's brilliant. I agree. The animated series one does not look nearly as good as the other ones. Like It's very classic. It's definitely a, a classic Robin look from the actual game. I really like that. It reminds me a lot of current Robin's costume. I'm a big fan of it. I'd like to play one of these just in case it comes looking like the image of Robin we got from the Arkham City tie-in comic book. Anything to cover the hair. Alright, the last bit of video game news we have it comes on August 23rd. It was announced, the Blu-ray features for Green Lantern, the live-action film, were announced. And actually, one of the special features that was listed was that with the 3D Blu-ray combo pack, an access code for the Sinestro Core Batman skin for Batman Arkham City will be included with the release of the film. Now what this means is on October 14th, the actual film Green Lantern will release. Now I I know this is specifically in North America. I don't know that the the release date is the same for everywhere else around the world, but in North America, uh, specifically the United States, October 14th, Green Lantern will release. If you buy the 3D Blu-ray combo pack, which has the 3D Blu-ray, the actual Blu-ray, and the DVD versions of the film, probably along with a digital copy for probably 
more money than you want to spend on a, on this movie anyway, you'll get a code which will give you the Sinestro for Batman skin so that you can play it within the challenge map. So this is another skin. Now they haven't released an actual image of this skin. We don't really know anything about it. It's amazing to me that for some reason Arkham City is going to have some kind of tie to Green Lantern. I think it's a marketing scheme by Warner Brothers to kind of link more of the DC Entertainment stuff together by including Green Lantern and Arkham City because the releases are so close together within the same, having a promotion between the two of them. But what's interesting to me is, you know, a couple of years, wasn't even a couple of years back, I think it was the last two years, Mattel put out a Sinestro Corps Yellow Lantern Batman. Now, this all stems from an issue of Green Lantern where there was literally two panels of Batman getting a Sinestro Corps or a Yellow Lantern ring. Two panels. And that's all that happens. And for some reason, we've gotten an action figure and now we're going to get a character skin of Batman in this Yellow Lantern outfit. It just blows my mind that two panels of a comic, and this is all that's ever happened with Batman being a Yellow Lantern, has had enough attention to to warrant a action figure and a character skin in a video game. It just blows my mind when we have so many other characters or costume interpretations and things like that that do not warrant action figures and character skins. Yeah, I suppose this is a bonus for any Green Lantern fans out there. I know Joe's quite a big one, but I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't think I'd go out of my way to get this skin. But if it, you know, if it became free for some reason, I might get it. But <clears throat> it's certainly very different to the other skins. Yeah, I can't say I'm that excited. I don't really get what... I haven't seen the two comic panels that they're, they're referencing. I can understand why he'd have the power of fear. It works well. But obviously, that's something Batman uses. But it doesn't really get me excited in the same way that the other stuff has. Seems a bit odd really, to be placed in the game, in the challenge maps, or wherever. It doesn't really make sense to me. I'm sure some marketing person thought this was a really great idea, but they forgot that Green Lantern wasn't that great of a movie, and I don't think that a Yellow Lantern Batman skin is worth buying the special edition Blu-ray combo pack. Particularly because that's two panels of comics, and that's it. it. It really doesn't tie in very well. I think it's interesting that he'll be able to use the power of fear in the game, but I don't think it would entice me to buy that Green Lantern DVD. Yeah, John was saying it's a bit weird. The Green Lantern skin doesn't quite fit with the game, and I think that's because this is less about advertising Arkham City and more about trying to get as many people to buy Green Lantern as possible. Which they might struggle to do. Yeah, especially the 3D version of the film. I think that's going to have a real hard problem really trying to get that to sell. Alright, that's all the video game news. We don't have any general news, so we're going to move straight into our Spotlight character. And like I said, our Spotlight character is going to be Dula Dent, and we're going to tell you everything there is to know about Dula Dent. Alright, Dula Dent appeared in a variety of guises claiming to be the daughter of various Batman villains. Her true background remained unrevealed. This was in Batman Family number 6, July, August 1976. On Earth-1, Dent first appeared as the Joker's daughter, confounding Robin with her subsequent appearances as the supposed daughter of the Catwoman, Scarecrow, Riddler, and Penguin. In the end, she admitted to being 
Jula Dent, daughter of former Gotham City District Attorney Harvey Dent, who is better known as Two-Face. After her confusing appearances, she adopted the name Harley Quinn and told the boy Wanda she wanted to join the Teen Titans, in part to atone for her father's crimes. She worked alongside the team on a few cases but was never truly accepted by her peers. After the team disbanded, she returned to Gotham City, donned the identity of Card Queen and tried to bring down a criminal operation called Maze. She turned up at fellow Titan Donna Troy's wedding, where Dick Grayson observed that Duella was too old to be Dent's true daughter, something she admitted to while providing no further information. After the events known as the Crisis on Infinite Earths, a schizophrenic woman was said to have been a recurring mental institution patient for years. She finally took on the name Duella Dent, displaying acrobatic prowess and using gadgets similar to supervillains to commit criminal acts. She encountered a group called the Teen Titans, later the Teen Titans. In the latter instance, Cyborg once summoned all members and associates of the Titans, and she turned up despite no previous recorded instances of her working with the team in any of her guises. JLA slash Titans 1-3, December 1998-January to January 1999. After she helped the Titans in the Justice League of America save Cyborg from an entity called Technus, she was seen in a bar sounding delusional. She claimed that she was not only awaiting a call to join the Titans, but also was the daughter of the alien creature Doomsday. When Dula Dents heard that a membership drive was being held to populate a Titan's West operation, she gathered the villain's fear and loathing and crashed the event, upset at not being invited. The entire event was unsanctioned but set up by Matthew Logan, Gar Logan's cousin, and she was subdued by Flamebird and Terra. This was in Titan's Secret Files number 2, October 2000. Dent was next recorded aboard the Injustice Society's old satellite, socialising with members of the secret society of villains that had united against the heroes. She told outrageous stories about her lineage, convincing no one present. In a twist, she also claimed that her mother was the villain, not one of Batman's male rogues. One of her claims was new, that she had been repeatedly revived using Ra's al Ghul's Lazarus Pick technology in Teen Titans Outsider's Secret Files, which came out in October 2005. When the call went out to all teen heroes in times of crisis, she responded despite her problems with the Titans. She aided them against Dr. Light and Superboy Prime, using her gadgets and aerobatic skills. And that's in Teen Titans, the third series, 24 July 2005, and also 32 March 2006. Sometime after the events of Infinite Crisis, the Titans were decimated and rebuilt with Dent finally an official member, alongside someone else using the name Riddler's Daughter, who may be her sister. Dent's membership didn't last long. Soon after, she left to join Deathstroke's rogue outfit known as Titans East. That was from Teen Titans, the third series, issue 43, February 2007. After abducting a celebrity, she was stopped by Jason Todd, during the confrontation, she threw out a claim that she hailed from a parallel Earth. She escaped Todd, only to be confronted by a monitor, one of the Guardians protecting the 52 parallel worlds recently created. For a change, her claim was a valid one, and because she did not belong on this Earth, he killed the Anomaly to preserve the multiverse. Countdown issue 51 from 2007. In a potential future, it was shown that Dula Dent helped destroy Arkham Asylum, attempting to reconnect with her unnamed father. The plan did not work, and angered, she went out and personally killed Batgirl, Alfred Pennyworth, and Betty Kane, 
Her rage was also directed at Gotham City Police Department officer Crispus Allen, who was still a mortal and not the Spectre. Her rampage was finally ended when Batman Tim Drake shot her dead. This was in Teen Titans number 18, January of 2005. And a different person used the name Joker's daughter in an entirely different potential future in Kingdom Come 96. And Duoden has never had any appearances in media. There was a character known as the Joker's daughter that was written for the never-made Batman film Batman Triumphant, which was supposed to be the sequel to Batman Robin and also directed by Joel Schumacher. Clearly that never happened. The character was supposed to be called Harley Quinn, but not going to be Joker's girlfriend, but rather the Joker's daughter. And she comes to avenge the death of the Joker from the first Batman film by Tim Burton. So that's the closest thing she's ever actually had from an actual media appearance. And that is Dual Dent. What do you find in a kitchen cabinet that is not a liar? I should hope, sir, that in the cabinet of a properly run kitchen, one would find nothing whatever alive. Alfred's right, Batman. In a clean kitchen cabinet, everything should be dead. <laughs> dead knives, dead forks, dead spoons. Dead pots, dead pans. Dead pans! Big pardon, sir. Don't you see, Alfred? It fits right in with the criminal theme. Dead pans, like those comics used to use in the old silent films. Dead pan expressions. Riddler's telling us his next one's going to be a straight dead pan caper. Ah, yes. Most ingenious. <laughs> now... Let's apply our brain power to riddle number two. When is a new car considered to be seedy? Holy kindergarten. That's almost too easy. A new car is seedy when it's a lemon. Right. You don't fancy, sir, that this famous desperado intends to stoop to the robbery of a lemonade stand. You've hit it. It fits like my glove. What, Batman? Mr. Van Jones is a famous collector of deadpan silent films. He's also a noted temperance leader, and he's invited Bruce Wayne to a party this afternoon at which nothing will be served but lemonade. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it may God have mercy on your soul. Alright, so that is our Spotlight character. For our feature, as I mentioned, Batman Live is touring around Europe as we speak, and both Nick and Joe have gone and seen Batman Live and are going to give their take on the actual show, and then the three of us who haven't seen it are kind of going to ask a bunch of different questions related to what they've seen. So I'm going to hand it over to Nick and Joe. Okay, I saw the show at the O2 Arena, it was a couple of weeks ago, and it had been already around for a couple of weeks, and the reviews were generally positive, and I went into it not really knowing a lot of what to expect, obviously we've been covering it, but it's very different when you're actually going to see the show live, and overall, it was a pretty good show. I thought it had a pretty good start to the show, and but it takes a while to kind of get used to the style of it, it feels most like Batman Forever to me, with a hint of Batman Begins with some of the technology that he uses. But that's the sort of feel and style that it's going for. And I thought the first half wasn't as good as the second half, definitely. Second half, I thought it got into a better gear. Everything seemed to work a little bit better. The action was more exciting. But, I mean, that was my general opinion of it, and I did like it. But there were certainly a few little problems with it, which maybe I'll get into in a minute. But... Joe, what did you think of it? 
very much like you. I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you. But now that you said it, I agree completely with what you said about Batman Forever being the, the sort of tone of it, because it was obviously aimed at a family show. And there were a lot of criticisms. The main one I seem to read was, don't expect Nolan. But obviously not. It's a stage show. I don't know why you'd go there to see some gritty realism. And it's, it's I mean, it's far from a panto, but it's definitely not as gritty as some people might hope. I think if you go into it with the right mindset, expecting it to be a family show, maybe on the more childish end, you'll actually be surprised and enjoy it. I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, anyone who is expecting The Dark Knight is uh, killing themselves, really. I mean, we, we knew that from day one, that it was kind of aimed for kids. And, you know, the majority of the audience were families. And then you saw the odd hardcore Batman fan who came dressed up. And that was that was most of the audience, really. Hardcore Batman fans and uh, mostly families. But, I mean, stuff I really liked in the show was I liked the way the stage was used because it sort of it came out towards the audience. And so you got to see a lot of action going on. There's a massive screen at the background shaped like a bat and they use this screen very creatively to change the setting of the show so that you'll be in a circus or the bat cave and and people walk through this screen as well it's almost like there's a door there that they walk through so the screen was was really well i've never seen anything quite like that before and that was very impressive the bat cave was great the batmobile really wasn't sure how that was going to work out really liked that the way it came out and it shot off and they jumped in and out of it, I thought the Batmobile was, was a real surprise, really good. The villains, pretty good. The Riddler, I really enjoyed. The Scarecrow makes an appearance and he's pretty creepy. The Joker guy was really good. He kind of went for a bit of a southern twang. like He was like from New Orleans or something, I thought. He had a little bit of a strange accent, but was, was good. And he was definitely channeling Mark Hamill, I thought. But yeah, you know, I, I, the Batman and Robin were pretty good. I thought the lines between the two of them were certainly better in the second half. The music was strong. So yeah, there was there was a lot that I liked, definitely. And the way they used the set was quite impressive, yeah. Yeah, I booked mine early enough to get second row seats. So I, I thought the set was amazing. I was really close to all the action and perhaps a bit too close for some of the fight scenes but as a whole i really enjoyed it as nick said the audience were pretty funny mostly families i went on my own because i couldn't convince anyone to come with me i saw one woman dressed up as harley quinn but just one so that made me laugh she looked very embarrassed with herself as for the villains i think the riddler was my favorite as well he was very good joker was brilliant as well harley quinn was an impersonation of harley quinn from the batman animated series like Nick was saying, the stage was used very well. The screen was something that I'd never seen before either and worked very well. It really drew your eye and you knew where to look all the time. You never missed anything. And it was interesting how they did the show because it was action, but there were also things like illusions and magic tricks and stuff all brought into it. And a lot of it was circus orientated, but it all really melded together. And it never got boring. Well, for me, I mean, I'll get into some of the bits I wasn't too happy about now. And you mentioned the circus. In the first half of the show, I mean, just so we explain it briefly, I mean, the story is pretty much how Dick Grayson becomes Robin, and it features quite a lot of the villains. I won't tell you any more than that. But in the first half, you see a lot of the circus. Obviously, we're there for uh, the Flying Graysons. We go back there again. And I got a bit tired of the circus. And any excuse they can find, they do dance or acrobatics and i got a little bit tired of that and i think that's why i preferred the second half because there was a bit more action but one moment i can remember in particular 
Batman kind of arrives. He's about to face off against Joker. He's, Joker's got an army of men in front of him with big sticks. And it looks like a big fight's about to go down. And the guys with sticks just end up dancing for about two minutes in front of Batman, who just wants to fight them. So there's a few moments like that where you feel like maybe you brush over the dancing and prancing around and then get on with the fights. Because the fights were good. I like the fights. Also, I thought some of the wire work was a little bit... I, I think it's very challenging to get people to move around and it look convincing. And there were some moments where I thought that didn't look great. And it was funny how whenever Batman arrived, he flew down from the roof. You know, every time everyone was looking around for Batman, you knew exactly where he was going to come from. Because he came from the same place every time. I agree. The second half was definitely better than the first. That scene Nick was just talking about with the Joker's men about to face off and then started dancing. I didn't mind that because it reminded me of Kung Fu Hustle, which made me laugh a bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, as for some of the things I didn't like so much, I'd say there are only two things that really stick out in my mind, and that was, I think, the first scene with Catwoman. The wire work in that is very clunky. That's a sort of Matrix-esque fight with lots of flips and improbable jumps. And that didn't work quite so well. And that, also that the was the that was the bit I was thinking about actually. Yeah, and the opening scene with Bruce Wayne. Now, I'm not sure if they just didn't want child actors, but it seems when you don't have a child actor playing a child, you go for a a small woman. It seems to be their next best thing. But this woman was so obviously a woman that it took completely away. I lost all involvement in the story, and I felt like I was watching Thomas and Martha Wayne walking around with a slightly special 30-year-old woman. <laughs> but you, you, you know, Joe, I mean, unless it was a different sort of performance, I was sitting a lot further back than when you than where you were. I didn't notice it was a woman. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about way back from where you... It sounds like you were right up the front. Yeah. I mean, she had short hair and was a little on the butch side, it must be said, but... <laughs> but I mean, overall, I would say I would rec- certainly any families definitely recommend it. And I think if you love the Nolan stuff, that's great. But you you can't go and expect that, and you can't go and expect something hardcore. But I think it does its best to try and entertain both groups there, and I think it generally does a good job. At the end of the day, I reckon at about half time, I was thinking to myself, not sure about this. But by the end of the show, I was I, I was very glad that I went. So I would recommend it. Of course, it's not going to be around that much longer. Has there been any word on? Whether it's coming to America. Yes, it's supposed to be coming here next summer. Next summer. Which will be interesting for it to be coming out the summer that The Dark Knight Rises. i almost thinking that uh, it might end up getting postponed for other summers so that it doesn't take away focus from The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I understand that it's a completely different take on Batman, but I just think that all the marketing efforts for Batman would be devoted towards The Dark Knight Rises and not a live-action show, at least next summer. Mm. But, I mean, it's an incredibly unique show. I've never seen anything quite like it. And if you enjoy Batman, and not just Chris Nolan, but if you if you like Adam West, if you like Batman Forever, if you like a bit of Tim... If you're happy to see a new take on it, which sort of takes a few inspirations from other media, then, then I would recommend it. My Batarang rating is 4 out of 5. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you've got family. I think it's something that the whole family would really enjoy. And I saw lots of kids just in awe watching it. It was quite nice to see. I would have given it a four and a half out of five, but I think the second half was absolutely spectacular. So I'm going to give it five out of five batterings, and I would thoroughly recommend it to everyone. Okay, so now the three of us who haven't seen it, let's ask some questions. The first thing I have to say is, 
What did you think of the Batmobile? Was it perceived as it would actually be something that would actually be used, or was it just a showpiece, something that you would never actually think of being used as a Batmobile? I would say, yeah, it seems a bit larger when you see it on stage than what we saw in the past. And, you know, I mean, they can both sit in it quite comfortably. And it does do a little bit of action in the show. I mean, you get to see it fire a rocket launcher and it shoots off the stage, shoots on the stage. It's pretty quick. So, yeah, I would, I mean, it's different to any other Batmobile I've ever seen, but I liked it. And thanks to the big TV screen, you do get to see the Batmobile in a little bit more action. Yeah, the Batmobile in this is a a hover Batmobile, so... You may be a bit wary of that. I don't think it would be used in any sort of film, possibly comic books because of Grant Morrison's Batmobile. But it worked well in the show, and like Nick said, it was surprisingly fast on the stage, and you get to see a video of it on the screen, and it looks pretty impressive and definitely bigger than you'd expect from the photos. And I think a lot of the things were different from the stuff we've got. I think they really listened to the fans and what people thought of it because the costumes looked different to the initial shots we saw, and they looked really good. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention is, when you're booking your tickets, try your best to get a seat that's looking directly at the screen. I mean, if you can imagine it, you've got the screen, and the stage comes out from the screen quite a long way. So you've got seats on either side of the stage, and then seats directly in front of the stage. You want to be looking directly in front of the stage, so the screen is behind the actors. If you're on the sides, the screen can be a little bit tough to see. And I was okay, but I know there were some people further around from where I was sitting who were struggling to see the screen. And without this, I mean, the screen does so much, really helps tell the story. And without it, that would be very disappointing. So that's my little tip. Try and book your seats looking straight ahead. Obviously, you mentioned that some of the action, especially with the Joker, where they were just dancing in front of them. How well does the action come off and, and how crucial is it to the storyline? Because... Obviously, that's kind of what Batman's about. I was a bit close for the action. I mean, I, like I said, I was brilliant sitting second row, but I could see when they were punching people, it would stop about a meter short. So very obvious wasn't punching people. But, you know, you wouldn't expect anything like that. It, the action was a little bit slow in places, and when it was involving the wires, it did look a bit awkward. But for the most part, it was good. It came across well, and there was enough action in it. And especially with some of the pyrotechnics and things like that worked really well. It, those were really impressive. I wasn't expecting to see anything like that. I really liked but, it when you had more than just Batman. Batman had a team, obviously Batman and Robin, and maybe someone else. And when there were several people fighting against a swarm of people, there was a lot to watch, there was a lot to look at, and you could sort of change your focus on what fight you were watching. And that, that was good. There was always a lot to see, you know, because such a big stage, there's so many people going all over the place, there was a lot to keep your eye on. So I, I enjoyed the action. As I said, I would have liked more action, less dancing. You guys said that you really liked the Batcave. What was the standout feature of that? I mean, how did they represent that on stage? Definitely the, for me, it would be the back computer. He has a massive console in front of him. And then they use, again, the massive screen as his computer. And with it, you can see everything he's doing. And the whole feel of the cave was great. But the computer, for me, was, was really impressive. And they could, again, tell a lot of the story with it. And you could see what he was up to. I really liked that bit. I think the back computer was pretty much... I think that was almost the only thing in the Batcave, but it was really impressive. And like Nick said, the whole screen was the computer screen. What was funny, I think, is the transition to the Batcave is you see on the big screen going through the 
clock, which is quite impressive, and going down and down. But it's literally the bat cave is about a hundred feet underneath the house, if not more. It keeps going down and down through layers and layers of vehicles and lakes and caves and caverns and lights. But it looks pretty impressive. And then at the end of that scene, you do see the Batmobile burst through the door, which is really impressive. So going back to the characterizations of the characters, what do you think, as far as villains go, what do you think were the best villains portrayed and what were the worst villains portrayed? Best would be Riddler, Scarecrow, Joker, probably those three. Worst, definitely Two-Face. I thought the guy who played Two-Face was awful. It felt like the Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face. It was over the top, it was silly... He was doing all this jumping around and, you know, speaking with a low voice and speaking with a normal voice. And I thought Two-Face was dreadful. And then the other, you know, the ones that were in between, like Poison Ivy, unfortunately, she's barely around. Catwoman, I thought, was okay. But yeah, so the best would be Riddler, Scarecrow, and Two-Face is the worst, definitely. Did you think Two-Face was bad, Joe, or was that just me? I'd say it was probably the worst. I don't think it came across the way it was intended because it's a very schizophrenic Harvey Dent. He faces one way to talk and then he faces the other way. And the makeup is pretty impressive, but obviously it's so far away you can hardly see. Even I was struggling. So I really don't think it comes across that well. I can definitely see that from where you were sitting. Because I was close up, I could see he he faced one way to speak and then the other way to be two-faced, the other way to be Harvey Dent. From where you were sitting, I'm sure it looked like he was just running around and jumping. And the coin flip. The first one was very impressive using the screen. The second one was hilariously... He clearly wanted to play it safe and only flicked it a few inches above his hand. The best villain, I would say, conceptually, Scarecrow was very cool. But I think I enjoyed the Riddler the most. It was quite an eccentric Riddler, quite Frank Gorshin-esque. But I really enjoyed that portrayal. What was the feel of the audience? Was it quite pantomime in sort of people were getting involved and you know when the action was happening people were kind of going ooh and making noises or was it very kind of theatre audience sat in silence this is lovely we've come out for a nice evening at the theatre well you've got a lot of families so there's already a lot of noise because of that but I think people wanted to get into it and the start is not easy to get into it just because it's a very odd experience at first you think this is a bit strange actually once you get into it I think everyone was really excited. I remember the minute the main actor says, I'm Batman, the whole crowd went crazy and cheered. And he says it every time he says it. He says it about two or three times. Everyone just went crazy. And everyone, has, everyone on stage has to stop while everyone's cheering. So there were some big moments there. I certainly saw a few faces who were a bit, well, I don't know about this. This is a bit rubbish. But all the families loved it. And I think most people were pretty happy. And there was plenty of applause, definitely. So I think it went down pretty well and everyone wanted to get involved. I agree. I think it was a bit awkward at the start. There's a few awkward wolf whistles, that sort of thing, just people trying to break a bit of tension. But once the action started, everyone really got hooked. And like Nick said, there were a few oars and ahs, but there was no catcalling or heckling or anything like that. And I think the actors did quite a good job of dealing with that and playing through it, opposed to just sort of, there was no awkwardness waiting for laughs to stop or anything. They waited a bit, but then they carried on. And I think they did well with that. As for people who weren't enjoying it and stuff, there were a few people obviously expecting more of the Nolan-esque Batman portrayal, but other than that, I think most people there were in family, so they were all just enjoying it. Because it's a family show, what sort of Batman and Robin dynamic was there? I mean, did we have to deal with ridiculous Robin puns? 
I don't remember Robin making too many stupid puns. I thought they had quite a good dynamic together once they were the dynamic duo. But Robin was a little bit annoying as a kid, as, as Dick Grayson at Wayne Manor. Speaking of which, Joe, do you remember that giant table and chair? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually saw the picture of that, and that's one of the things that made me think, huh. Yeah, everyone, basically, every, uh, this is probably one of the strange things in the first half. It's why everyone thought it was a bit odd. It happened in the first half. You know, he's been brought to the Wayne Manor after his parents die, and he's sitting at this, it's a normal-sized guy sitting on a gigantic chair and a gigantic table that takes up the whole stage and it just looks ridiculous it looks like something out of the borrowers or something and it just i thought it was terrible the strangest set i've ever seen but regarding the batman and robin they were fun together like adam west and burt ward but not to that extent and it certainly wasn't a chris o'donnell sort of thing so i i thought they got a nice balance actually and it was one of the few times i've really seen a robin and a batman in you know films or live action or whatever that worked quite well, and I, I can picture that sort of Robin one day in a film. I think that's the sort of way they'd have to go with it. That scene which Nick is talking about with the the big table and chair, I can see why it was done. It was to do with a perspective type thing, but why you'd have the actor then sit on the chair was ridiculous. Like Nick said, it, he looked like a borrower because the chair was double the size of him and he was sitting there. I think the funny thing was Alfred probably came out with the best one-liners. For instance, when he was on that table and chair. Robin got off on the table and Alfred said, mind the furniture, which things like that made me laugh. I think Alfred did have the the most jokes in the show. The person who played Robin probably was one of the best actors in it. I think I think Bruce Wayne sometimes came across a little stiff, especially in the first half, because you have to get used to the characterizations of them and he doesn't come across quite as light-hearted as you'd perhaps expect for the show. But I think once everyone gets into the show, you sort of, like the audience, everyone sort of gets into the swing of it and realises, oh, this is how this is meant to be. Okay, then. Does it seem that because it was a lot of, you know, well, one, a lot of the show was dealing with the circus aspect with the acrobats and things like that, when it leads into, away from the circus you know, the act that actually features the circus and into some of the other things. I mean, I've seen pictures online with, you know, the bodies hanging from the strings when Joker shows up and things like that. Did it ever feel at any point that they were making it out to be too much of, were focusing too much on the circus element, even when the circus isn't being featured in the show? Maybe a little bit. I mean, the, the bit you're talking about is near the end in Arkham Asylum, and it's almost like, look, we're going to do this quite visually impressive stunt and hang these people up on ropes, but it doesn't really make any sense. You kind of have to put sense aside a bit for this show and just go with it. But I definitely feel like they decided, look, we're going to get a team of acrobats to do most of the stuff in this show. And because of that, nearly every big sequence involves lots of flipping around and acrobats. And I enjoyed that. But after a while, you know, seeing someone do a backflip gets a bit boring and I would have rather seen a bit more fighting or maybe some more impressive wire work. I certainly got tired of the circus stuff, and I would have perhaps liked maybe just spend a bit more time with the characters talking because they barely do that. You know, most of the time they're doing something. It would have been nice to just have a few more quieter moments, perhaps. I think whilst there was a lot of circus elements in it, I think it did remain quite separate from the majority of the storyline. A lot of the Joker stuff was circus-orientated, but... I don't think it was in there constantly. You do get breaks of it, especially in Wayne Manor and in the Batcave, things like that. There's definitely a break from it. Obviously, there's going to be families and stuff going, but 
are there nods to the comics and the film in it for more hardcore fans or is it a completely fresh take and it's very isolated I can think of one example where at least I know I was going oh look that's from the thing and that was at the beginning where you see the origin of Batman obviously Bruce and his family come out of a theatre and they're watching Zorro but other than that that's probably the deepest sort of thing you'll get to that the person who killed the grace in the family was tony zuko but other than those sort of things you don't go much deeper into that or if you do i didn't notice them no not a lot as joe mentioned there are a few little mentions of stuff but certainly no big references or anything like that no i I would i think because they were going for the younger audience they thought they'd make it very accessible so you certainly don't need to have read anything to keep up with what's going on just kind of following up with john's question Being that this is a family-oriented show, do you think that the kids that are watching this, are they then going to go seek out the comics or any other form of Batman media? Well, I mean, if the people who made this show have it their way, they would be selling so much merchandise because as I was trying to get out of the O2, I was just being shoved all sorts of T-shirts and programs and they were trying to sell everything and it all cost a fortune. But they they had T-shirts for pretty much every character, so they certainly want to sell a lot of stuff. I didn't see a comic book anywhere. I don't think this lends itself for people to get into the comics. Certainly not like the new DC relaunch or anything like that. It's nothing similar to that and I don't think they're encouraging kids in that direction which is probably a shame. Also, you can't tell kids to go and see this and then go and see The Dark Knight Rises. Completely different sort of tone, and they're probably not old enough anyway. So, no, I don't think so. I don't think this really makes it... I don't think the kids can watch this and go, right, I've just seen Batman Live, really liked it. Now, what do I do next? Do I have to wait for Batman Live 2? Or what happens next? I don't know what comics to read, and I don't want to go and watch Batman and Robin, because that's crap. And I'm not old enough to go and see The Dark Knight Rises, so I don't know. I don't think they've really given them a lot to go. Maybe Brave and the Bold. Maybe Brave and the Bold, but that's about it. I would recommend the animated series. Yeah, I don't think this lends itself to making kids want to get into comics any more than any other media outlet for Batman. Like Nick said, I think the one thing that's going to get kids most interested in comics is probably something like Batman the Brave and the Bold or Young Justice, just because they could pick up the tie-in, and then from there they could start reading other books. Where's the Batman live tie-in? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Did you get any of the merchandise, Nick? No, I I didn't want to buy any of that. I uh, picked up a program which was... Pretty good, 64 pages. So and cost I, I how much? 15 pounds. 15 pounds. I, I had to get a souvenir, and it's been pretty good. There's even 3D in it, so John would love it. <laughs> Definitely. One thing, one thing which I forgot to mention, a bit unrelated, but some of the, the acting overall, I think, was very over the top. You have to get used to it, because it's like every character is a vessel for Aquaman in this. They're all very bombastic and shouting and slapping on the back. But overall, I think once you get into it, like I was saying, you get used to the flow and how things work in it, and it it works pretty well. So final question is, if this was released on DVD or Blu-ray, would you buy it? I think that I probably would. It'd be a bit of a guilty pleasure that I probably wouldn't publicize, but I think I would love to have it to remind me of it and... Also, to get a slightly better view, maybe. But, yeah, I think I would. I mean, are they planning on doing that? Because it seems like a sensible thing to do to me. My theory with that is, once it comes to the United States, it does its tour in the United States, 
I imagine if Warner Brothers is smart, they'll do some kind of cross-promotion once it's ran its course in the U.S. where they'll have, like, the show appear on, like, HBO or something. Because they've done that in the past with other Broadway things that are specifically tie-ins to Warner Brothers things. It'll appear on HBO, and then from there, they'll sell the recording that they made for HBO in DVD or Blu-ray form or whatever. I would really hope they do because I know that there's a lot of people out there who are not going to be able to make it to the theater. I mean, we obviously have no idea who, you know, where it's coming yet when it comes to the States next year, but at the same time, you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of places where it's not going to get to, and it would be a shame for fans who wanted to see it not to be able to see it because the production didn't come to a town that's close to them, so... I really hope they do. I would buy it. I haven't even seen it yet, and I know I would buy it just because I think it would be an interesting addition and an interesting take on the character. I'm guessing you'd buy it then, Joe. I'm pretty sure I would, depending on the cost of it, of course, because if it's overpriced by too much, then I'd I'd have to double-think it. But well, like your program. that I was there in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but no, with the DVD, I think I probably would. If you get the opportunity to see it, though, I really do recommend it because I don't know about Nick, but when I first walked in and saw the stage, I was literally breathtaking. It really is quite amazing, and I don't think you'd get that from the DVD, even though it might be cleaned up a bit, perhaps. Final question from me. You've already mentioned it. Obviously, a lot of people who listen to this podcast will be collectors. Is there anything that collectors should be scouring eBay for or trying to get hold of merchandise-wise, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think that's that's probably not my department. Joe probably knows more about it. I think the best piece of merchandise I saw was a a latex Batman cape with the Batman emblem on the back. Oh yeah, but, everyone uh, was wearing those around. I, I didn't get one of those. <laughs> I had to stop myself. So nonetheless, Batman Live is still touring for, I think, the next month and a half in Europe. So if you are in that vicinity and you want to go see it, make sure you're checking out Batman Live's website to find out when it's coming to your area or an area near you so you can purchase some tickets to go see it. There's also a review on the website. Suave Star, our faithful comic book reviewer, also went and saw the show and he reviewed it and also gave it a very high rating on the website as well. So make sure you check out some of the pictures from the production that he took on the website as well. So that is our feature and that is the episode. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you're checking out our YouTube page. We are uploading our vast library of Batman commercials. We're pretty much uploading five every two weeks. So this point there's already 10 up and wide variety from action figures to cereal to soundtracks all kinds of things so check it out in addition to that you can follow us on the website thebatmanuniverse.net for all the latest news related to all the topics we discussed here on the podcast as well as all the news related to the comic books you can listen to a wide variety of other podcasts we recently have a new special up for the dc new 52 which is the new initiative by DC Comics to relaunch the entire DC Universe this month. In addition to that, we're kind of switching up some co-hosts on the comic cast, so you can take a listen to that, um, adding one and losing another. And there's always a ton of things happening on the website, even if there is no news. We're making a consistent effort to make sure that we get some sort of material up on the site every day so that everyone has something Batman to look forward to. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. You can join the forums and become members. We are going to be doing a very specific push to get the forums a little bit more involved, a lot more topics discussed outside of the Batman universe 
for people to have not only a place to talk about Batman, but also everything else that's going on in the world as well. And finally, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns, or suggestions for future spotlight characters or features. That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Nick. This is John. This is Melinda. And this has been Joe. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next month. Muchos gracias. Stay classy, San Diego. Au revoir. Bye. worry i'm not the one being fired from the comic cast (laughs) (laughs) that's not what i've heard (laughs) what you and me are gonna have words sir that's part of what that is that we then get in david finch's the dark knight Uh, (laughs) sorry dustin that's all right and the last bit of movie movie i don't really have anything to add about this i don't even really know what the game is No, my internet has just frozen. Just balance them on the end of my glasses and magnify my vision by about 50 times. (laughs) Just blast lasers through the TV. They do have one 3D glasses coming out for people with glasses, but they are actually more expensive than just normal 3D glasses. Um, so essentially, the electronics community is telling you if you have glasses, you suck, get LASIK, or uh, you can't watch 3D. Pretty much, yeah. That, or, yeah. I'm sure Armani or someone will come out with a pair of glasses with a 3D film over the top of them or something like that. <laughs> it's going to take some time. Yeah, it won't take that long. It will for me. Oh. I forgot. You don't know how to read. We're members of the society. Uh, the seat. Yeah. Um.